Welcome to the Tao of Christ. This is Marshall Davis. The Tao of Christ is a podcast which explores the mystical, intuitive, and contemplative side of Christianity. In particular, it explores Christian non-duality or non-dualism, otherwise called the unitive life or union with God. Today I'm going to be continuing my exploration of Christian non-duality. Because I am a Christian, I look to the Christian scriptures for inspiration on spiritual matters. I love the scriptures, I read them daily and study them and preach them, I find them inspiring. As the second letter to Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, so they're useful. Christians have developed all sorts of theories of the inspiration and authority of scripture. Many of them, like the ideas of biblical inerrancy and and infallibility, go beyond what the scriptures claim for themselves. In fact, they make the written word into an idol, a false god, a substitute for God, which allows humans to pretend that the doctrines that they deduce and they develop from scripture are also infallible and inerrant. And then they become a litmus test for who is in and who is out, who is and who is not a Christian. Scripture never claims for itself the types of things that many evangelicals claim for it. It simply says that Scripture is inspired by God and useful in the spiritual life. That's it. And I agree. I find the Scriptures to be both inspired, God-breathed, and useful for teaching. To quote 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 in its entirety, All Scripture is inspired, God breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's how I use scripture. It is common in some Christian circles for believers to have a life verse, a biblical verse that sums up one's personal faith. For many years, mine has been Galatians 2.20 which reads, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I think this is the most important verse in all of Scripture. It may actually be one of the oldest verses in the Christian Scriptures, if Paul's letter to the Galatians is the first of Paul's letters, which some scholars think is the case. In any case, Paul's letters are universally accepted to be older than the four Gospels. So, we have here in Galatians one of the oldest and I think one of the most important verses in all the New Testament. It is more important than John 3.16, which is probably uh, from one of the latest books in the New Testament. And yet, John 3.16 is quoted often and Galatians 2.20 seldom quoted. The central thought in this verse is found, appropriately, right in the center of the verse. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is the core of my Christian identity. The I mentioned in the verse is the ego, persona, personal identity, psyche, egocentric self, or simply the self. It really doesn't matter what you call it, as long as you can identify it. It is what we normally understand ourselves to be, our individualistic identity, our personality, our unique combination of physical characteristics, intellect, thoughts, emotions, intuition, 
memories, skills, reputations, social connections, professional accomplishments. In other words, everything that could go into a well-crafted eulogy delivered at our funeral is what most people think of as themselves. That is who dies when our body quits. That is who our loved ones mourn when we are buried. That is who is missed by friends and acquaintances after we are gone. This self is born, develops, matures, ages, and eventually dies. We give the self a name. The name of myself is Marshall Davis. That I, that self, no longer lives. It is no longer I who lives. The old self is dead. I have been crucified with Christ, this verse says, that I died with Christ on the cross. That means it was dead long before I was born. If it was dead long before I was born, that means it never really was. Spiritually speaking, that dead self is an illusory self, which is no longer real and never really was real. The spiritual meaning of the cross at least part of it, is the death of the self. Now, there are many other dimensions and meanings of the cross. I'm not dismissing any of these. The cross of Christ is a very rich and powerful symbol, which has spawned all sorts of theories and understandings of salvation. If you have a certain understanding of the cross, which is very important to you, then by all means keep it. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it even if you are convinced of some form of substitutionary atonement and the need for a human sacrifice demanded by God and fulfilled in the death of Jesus, then that's fine. If you need the idea of propitiation or expiation and are convinced that a price had to be paid for sin to a holy and righteous God who without it would be required by his, by his own justice and holiness and righteousness to send people to eternal hell then fine. As a former evangelical, I'm very familiar with that line of thinking. And I believed it wholeheartedly earlier in my Christian life. But if you believe things like this, realize there's a lot more to the cross than just that. That sacrificial concept is just a religious idea. It's theology. And theology is just a way for the mind to make sense of that which cannot be understood with the mind. So it develops these theological schemes. If this type of theology helps you, if it is useful to you in ridding your heart and soul of guilt and shame and sinfulness and fear of punishment, then use them. They have a long history in Scripture and in Christianity, but realize they are nothing more than ideas, mental maneuverings used to try to straighten out your heart. It's all in the mind. With non-duality, I'm talking about something beyond the mind, which is what the Greek word used in the New Testament for repentance literally means. The word is metanoia. It means beyond the mind. It means a changing of the mind or transformation of the mind. Noia is mind. Meta is beyond or after or behind. So metanoia or repentance means to go beyond or behind the mind. I also did a cursory search on Google to see how this word meta is used now. And this is what I found. It says, it's seeing the thing from a higher perspective instead of from within the thing, like being self-aware. 
Wow, we are talking about a metamorphosis, which is another word with meta in it. It is a transformation into something entirely different. Theological ideas about the cross and the death of Jesus are fine, but realize that they are intended to induce transformation, which involves death and rebirth. It involves a real meaning of the term born again, which has become trivialized into an emotional religious experience. That is not what it means to be born from above, or born of God, or born anew, or born again. And when you look at John 3, which is the most famous passage that uses that term, as Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus, and you see pretty clearly what it means. But I'll explore that scripture reading in some other episode. I'm not talking about John 3 now. I'm talking about Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We died with Christ. The death of Jesus on the cross is an archetypal death. It represents the death of Jesus' self and the death of our self. The cross is self-sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself, his self. Christians talk about Jesus' death as a sacrifice all the time, but most of the time they don't even know what they're saying. The cross is the death of self that God may live through us. It is the death of the human self to reveal God who underlies our human mortal selves. And the resurrection, which follows after the cross, is the true self, Christ emerging from the tomb. It is the revelation of the eternity of the true self, which is not born and is not subject to death and cannot die. So, I am dead, I no longer live. That does not mean that I experience complete selflessness. That pesky I or self, what the Apostle Paul elsewhere calls the old man or the flesh, still hangs around this life like a poltergeist, causing me endless problems. But when I am aware that it is seeking to reclaim its position in my life, I simply reckon it as dead and gone. Paul talks about that in Romans. He says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When our self dies, or is revealed as already dead, then the Christ in us, who cannot die, is revealed. Christians, especially evangelical Christians, talk about receiving Jesus into your heart or into your soul, into your life. They talk about having Christ in their hearts, and they're right. More right than they even know. Christ is in us. In fact, Christ is all there is. The immortal, eternal Christ dwells within us. Another way that Christians talk about this is by talking about the Holy Spirit within us. That's a different doctrine which is trying to make the same point. The immortal God is within us, and we are in God. In him we live and move and have our being, as Paul is reported to have said in the book of Acts. And when we, the self, dies, what remains is what is immortal. The immortal God. The concept of the image of God, that we are made in the image of God, is another way of coming at that same truth. In any case, our mortal self dies or is seen as already dead, but Christ lives in us. 
Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We live no longer as our false, dead, illusory selves, but we live as Christ. This is the same thing that the Hindu teaching, that Atman is Brahman, is saying. In the place of myself is Christ, who lives in me. Me, meaning this body-mind that people call Marshall Davis, but the false self, that old imposter, who identified itself as the lord of this life and possessor of this body is dead and gone. Good riddance. I do not mourn its passing. This is freedom. This is liberation. This is salvation. This is enlightenment. This is awakening. Awakening. Call it whatever you want. Don't let the words hang you up. Different religious traditions use different words. Don't get hung up on the words. But look at what the words point to. But in any case, it is an, ex- an experiential reality and not just an idea or a doctrine. Christ lives in me. He is the only one in me. He is the only one home in this human temple that the Bible calls the body. Christ is my true self, my true nature. Now, it would be easy for some Christians to misunderstand me here. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm God or Christ. There is no I to be God or Christ. There is only God. There is no I. There is only Christ, who is all and is in all, as Colossians 3 says. Christ is God in human flesh, in Jesus and now within us. That is what the resurrection of Jesus, and even our resurrection, points to. The resurrection has become an arguing point for Christians, arguing about physical versus spiritual, bodily or not. Paul talks about resurrection in terms of a spiritual body, whatever that means. The practical spiritual meaning of the resurrection has become lost in dogma. The resurrection is more than a theological doctrine. It's not just a Bible story about a garden and an empty tomb 2,000 years ago. It is the reality of what the story points to. It is the spiritual reality of life, of my life. As the song says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And by heart, I mean my inner being. Christ lives, and I don't. That's reality. That's my reality. Paul goes on in our verse. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There are three parts to this verse. The central part is that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then there is the background that we have been talking about, the background of that assertion that roots it in the death of Jesus, that we have been crucified in Christ, the foundation of this experience of no self or Christ's self is found for the Christian in the cross of Christ. Now, other spiritual traditions find the foundation in other ideas and stories. But for the earliest Christians who were Jewish Christians, who wrote the New Testament, and whose background was the Old Testament sacrificial system, then the cross of Jesus fulfilled their spiritual tradition and freed them to see Christ in us in terms of sacrifice and self-sacrifice, death and resurrection. And it worked. Their experience of death to the old self and rebirth 
and the death of Jesus and his resurrection worked. Now, this biblical language doesn't work very well for many people today, people who are not saturated in the biblical concepts of law and sacrifice. But in the context of the biblical narrative, it works. It's useful. It works for me. It roots my awareness of oneness with God in Jesus, and in particular in the death of Jesus, often referred to as the atonement, which breaks down into the words at one meant. The death of Jesus points to oneness. Then there is a third part of the verse, which is about how this awareness of oneness is incarnated in our lives. It communicates two important dimensions of this Christian life after awakening to our oneness with God in and through Christ, and they are faith and love. The verse says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith and love are how we incarnate our true nature and live out this union with God. Living by faith in the Son of God is not about believing and mouthing the right doctrines about Jesus. It is about living in faith. It is trusting the living, immortal, eternal, cosmic, universal, logos, Christ, to live through this body. It is living Christ as our true self. The other aspect mentioned in this verse is love. This verse is lived in the context of unconditional divine love, a God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is love, the scripture says. Christ is love. Self-sacrificial love is not just something that Jesus of Nazareth did during his life and in his death. It is something that Christ does now and eternally. That self-sacrificial love was demonstrated by Jesus and is lived in us now by the living Christ. This is the experiential spiritual reality in which one knows the self-sacrificial love of the indwelling Christ and lives it out in faith through self-sacrificial love toward God and others. Now I know this is sounding very theological and is and very Christian. But this is Christian non-duality that I'm talking about, after all. It's not Hindu non-dualism, or Buddhist non-dualism, or Taoist non-dualism, or various forms of American non-dualism that are popular now. They all have their history and religious backgrounds that inform them. But this is Christian non-dualism. The core of this new reality is the central message of this verse, which is that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the true self, who is Christ. In reality, Christ was always our true self. All it takes is the dissolution of our illusory self to reveal the presence of the living Christ. So that's my life verse, Galatians 2.20, which I consider the most important verse in all the New Testament. Next time on the Tao of Christ, I will explore another aspect of Christian non-dualism. I have also recently started a Facebook page where listeners can respond to any of these podcasts. So I invite you to do a search and find it. I hope you join me next time for the Tao of Christ.